Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Kevin Wade is on the show with me as well today, this Friday morning. And we're going to discuss some Oregon football and football recruiting specifically and some of the top targets that Oregon's going after. And specifically, we're, we're going to focus really in on the trenches, Oregon's offensive line, Oregon's uh, defensive line. We're going to have some roundabout discussions. Uh, Kevin and I, we were doing a, a show earlier this week, and after we stopped recording, we we were talking and, and, and giving our opinions on stuff. And I figured, you know what, this is good stuff. We should just save it for a later date. I, mean, I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing, you know, our opinions on a lot of the, a lot of these topics and a lot of these prospects. And that's what we're going to do today. Go into the trenches, just discuss some Oregon football recruiting. And before we do that, I want to remind you last days uh, coming up of the DuckTerritory.com promotion, 10 year anniversary 50% off an annual membership. Subscribe today, save 50%. I'll save over $50 on your annual membership. One-time payment gets you covered for the rest of uh, the next 364 days uh, that, that you are a member of DuckTerritory.com. Highly encourage you guys to do that. All right, so let's, let's focus first and foremost, Kevin, uh, with Kingsley. Kingsley Soamatia, a Oregon's top offensive line target in this recruiting class, uh, a guy that you could argue is kind of Oregon's overall target in general, regardless of position. I mean, he's said that. He, he said that a year ago, uh, that Oregon informed him that he was their top target. And you, you look at Kingsley and, and his rankings, and you see that it, it's pretty much justified. You know, 59th best player in the country. He's the 10th best offensive tackle, the top offensive tackle on the West Coast. He's got a lot of options out there right now, and um, Oregon's the overwhelming favorite in the crystal ball predictions. He's got nine predictions. Kevin has one. I have one. They're all for Oregon. They're all pretty much confident uh, in, in, in terms of him landing at Oregon. Uh, so I don't know if anyone's necessarily out here saying that Oregon doesn't lead, but at least right now it's Oregon and kind of another school. It's always kind of in the mix. And right now the there, there's two schools, one of which is Alabama. Um, they're trying to get involved and trying to get heavily involved there. But the other one is USC and they've been, you know, they've been there for a while. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now that the Trojans are, are trying to make up some ground and maybe have made up some ground. Yeah, USC has kind of been the – you look at – he released the top seven at the end of July, um, about a, yeah, a month ago now. Um, and USC is out of the schools that he lists there. Uh, three in-state schools, Utah, Utah State, BYU, Virginia, uh, then USC, Arkansas, USC, and Oregon is his top seven. And USC feels like the real threat out of those schools uh, in those top seven. I mean, he's talked about uh, wanting to visit the Trojans before. They're kind of a school that he's put a lot of attention on. Um, he, he said he just wants to visit, but it just it kind of goes back to the Oregon has been the leader. He's visited Oregon the most times. He's made Oregon the priority. Oregon has had the most stability at head coach and that head coach is a offensive line minded head coach. And so I, I just think while there's 
maybe some interest. I think Oregon's just everything that Oregon has going for it just points to Oregon for an offensive tackle prospect that also has a close relationship with an offensive tackle who Mario Cristobal recruited and then helped win the Outland Trophy. I'm trying to think of why would Oregon lose out here? What what would what type of situation could maybe play out in which Oregon doesn't win this recruitment? Um, obviously, it's it, recruiting is fluid, and and you know trying to to hammer home an exact science of decision making is never um, easy. It, it it very works out, <laughs> rarely works out either, but. Nonetheless, you know, all the signs right now are pointing to Oregon. And I'm having a hard time come up with a scenario in which Kingsley doesn't go to Oregon. I, I would think because USC's the second biggest player right now. And the only thing is the only way I, I think it you know, when you listen to Kingsley and you, you listen to the family about what's important and what they're looking for in a college, everything kind of points to Oregon based off of the last two or three, four years of, of, of play. And that's, you know, they, they want to get, they want to play for a high profile team. Um, they want to play for a coach that's developing offensive linemen. They want to play for a coach that that's got, you know, a, a system in place that really, you know, showcases guys like Kingsley on the, on the edge of the offensive line, their talents and, he wants to go to a, a place where there's a lot, a lot of other talent on, on, you know, on the roster and they can win. And USC's kind of, let's just compare this Oregon versus USC deal here. Um, you know, USC's not developing their offensive linemen like Oregon's is. Uh, their program is nowhere near uh, the, obviously the USC has more tradition than Oregon does and no one's going to dispute that. And, and Oregon is, hasn't won a national championship and USC has won, has won multiple. But if you just look at the last three or four years, the programs aren't similar, um, you know, in their trajectories. USC's is a downward trajectory while Oregon's is an upward trajectory. Um, and then on top of that, there's the Sewell factor of Oregon has Sewell showcase, you know, he was the best offensive lineman in football last year. He's going to be a top pick. Uh, in the 2021 NFL draft, should he come out? I'm just struggling to, to see a, a scenario in which it just where Kingsley doesn't land at Oregon. He kind of wonders if some of the the social media buzz, where he's been tweeting out USC offers, a few USC site journalists, which some people read as into, could be leaning one way or the other, is just maybe built up a little bit of excitement, maybe a little drama. I know. It's been now a month since he said, I'm committing soon. Uh, He said that to a local ESPN radio station out of the state of Utah. And it's been a month since he said that. A lot of people thought that that meant, oh, he's going to commit before his high school season, which is now entering week three because Utah decided to try and get the season to start early so they could get get it over with. Um, A lot of people thought that meant, oh, he's going to commit before he starts his high school season. That didn't happen. So maybe there is some building of suspense, maybe putting a few other teams back into it so it's not the clear Oregon lock. But for really the past year, you just, if you wanted to play the social media tea leaves game, 
you look at the Oregon coaches and they're basically treating the family like he is a current commit or even a current player by the amount they're retweeting him and interacting in the ways that are NCAA sanctioned on Twitter. So um, how often, how often Kevin have we seen recruitments, whether it's Oregon, a commitment for Oregon or it's a commitment for another school um, where a guy comes out and says, yeah, he's going to shock the world or he's going to come out and think, you know, People don't know where, where I'm going. You know, I'm going to shock everyone. Uh, the most notable one is kind of the Xavier Worthy, the most recent one for me. Xavier Worthy, you know, a couple of days before his recruitment tweets out, or his commitment, he tweets out that you know, he's not committed yet. He hasn't decided. Uh, don't believe the crystal ball type deal because all the crystal balls started going, you know, Michigan's way. And lo and behold, two days later, three days later, whatever it was, he committed to Michigan. So, uh, a lot of times, a lot of these kids are, are trying, like you said perfectly, just trying to build up some suspense. And, and I don't know if that's what Kingsley is doing, but history suggests that's kind of what's going on right now. Yeah, I think that's a, a clear um, could be what's going on. I think that you do see it a lot where it, it does try and play the game. But there's also like very similar his old teammate and the brother of Penesul Noah last year I think there was a lot of that going on at play because with Panay already on the roster everyone just kind of assumed that Noah was going to be going to Oregon he did take a few official visits during the season and in a very similar fashion everyone thought that it was just going to be Oregon but then towards the end there there was a little bit of wait could Georgia maybe pulled this off and they ended up not um, I guess Georgia should be mentioned for Kingsley because they were the other team that uh, especially when no one was heavily considering them Georgia was a big factor a year ago and they're not in his top seven because offensive line coach Sam Pittman went to Arkansas but when he didn't really show the same level of interest in Arkansas I think that was kind of telling that like Oregon has really just stepped up here to be the clear leader and they haven't moved off their position and I've actually increased my confidence. I was at a seven uh, about two weeks ago. I made it to a nine. I'm pretty confident here that he'll be a duck eventually. Yeah. I was just going to say, is there any, from what you've seen, there's nothing really out there right now that's going to waver your confidence. Is there? No, I've, I, I have upgraded it actually over the past few weeks and I feel pretty confident there. Yeah. Uh, next, next guy on the list um, along the offensive line, Bryce Foster, four-star offensive lineman from Katy, Texas, a, a guy that uh, we discussed him on a, a previous podcast earlier this week, a little bit at length here. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking at Oregon, and there's a lot of right now of, of buzz about Oklahoma. Um, there's a lot of buzz maybe about Texas A&M. You, know, you look at the crystal ball predictions and seven uh, or you know seven predictions are cast 64 percent of those are going to Oklahoma 35 percent of those are going to Texas A&;M none of them are going to Oregon obviously he's also got LSU in the picture he's also got Texas but um, notable that the sooner summit uh, if you're unfamiliar with that that was a, a deal in which, Look, it's, it's a recruiting dead period right now. So, so guys can't take visits and interact with, with coaches. They can't get tours of facilities and whatnot. Um, Caleb Williams, I believe, 
Oklahoma QB commit organized a Sooner Summit, meaning he he got in touch with a bunch of other targets and commits, and they all either drove or flew out to Norman, Oklahoma on their own, hung out together, kind of walked around campus together. I, I guess the, the football stadium is, is an open facility for the public to walk through, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, but nonetheless, it, it is. Uh, and the players walked around the football facility, uh, the stadium, I should say, you know, as a group without any coaches. They later all met in a hotel room and got on a Zoom call with Lincoln Riley, which is legal. Um, Oregon coaches are on Zoom calls every day with recruits. Uh, but, but Bryce Foster was invited by the recruits of Oklahoma to show up to this event. He chose not to come uh, or, or couldn't come for whatever reason. I don't know if that's a clear sign he's not leaning towards Oklahoma, um, but he had an opportunity to, to get up there and he couldn't make it for whatever reason. Um, but nonetheless, I still think it's safe to say that um, a, lot of, a lot of positives for Oregon here, but how realistic is it, though, during a, a COVID pandemic and all of that, can't take official visits right now. Uh, it would be a pretty hell of a sell for Oregon to get to get him away from Oklahoma, to get him away from Texas A&M, in my mind. I think that's kind of why you haven't just seen the the national Oregon momentum while Oklahoma and Texas A&M are still kind of that top two in the national picture when you look at the 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 less what is Oregon's take on it versus what is where is he going for whether it's like yeah so I think that's the the pandemic is kind of one of those just like how far realistically is he going to go he's from outside the Houston area so you know Texas A&M College Station not far away Texas is not far away Oklahoma comparatively not far away LSU another team that's in that top group not far away they're a little further out of it uh, but. I think when you just look at things as a whole, um, the distance is just a large factor. I know that he has family uh, that has gone to Oregon, so he, he's familiar. He's been to Oregon himself. He was one of the the top prospects in our book, I believe, last year from Saturday Night Live. So um, there's a familiarity. He knows the school. He knows the coaches. But I do think that the distance is kind of what has hampered Oregon in being seen as a top contender here. Yeah, like Oregon has the track facilities. He's been here before, like you said. Um, I just I, – I view if, – if Oregon didn't have loaded up on offensive linemen the last couple of seasons at guard um, and they had this, like, clear immediate need, I would feel – I would feel a little bit more confident that Oregon could get him. But – and Bryce Foster's a guy that, look – Everywhere he goes, he's going to have a good chance at playing as a true freshman right away, maybe even starting um, at, at any of the schools that he's looking at. It, that, he's that talented. So, you know, at, at the same time, though, if, if you know you're going to start right away, why would you throw yourself into a – or if you know you have an opportunity to play right away, why would you still throw yourself into a situation in which – Look, all the teams are equal in terms of te- in terms of you know expectations, winning conference championships. That's the expectation. Uh, getting to major bowl games. You know, all three of the you know four or five of these teams. That's that's what they do. Um, and now you're just looking at it as okay, what's just the best fit for for me personally? Why why throw yourself into a, a mix where 
I'm probably the best player, but I've got to compete with six other guys for playing time where you could go into a situation and say, I'm, I'm probably the best player, but I really only have to compete with two or three guys uh, to, to play right away. And maybe these two other two schools are closer to home too. Um, I don't know, but maybe – Maybe the, the, the lure of, of Oregon and the facilities and, and the winning and just like we were talking about with Kingsley, you know, the reputation under Mario Cristobal, maybe that can win out. I think track is the X factor for me. I think that is the supreme X factor where Oregon could push and it's the one thing that they definitely have to sell over Oklahoma or Texas A&M is Hayward Field just got a – hundreds of millions dollar facelift and the facilities not only in the football programs are state of the art but i mean you could go you could say that those are some of the best track and field facilities in the world and you just can't find much better than what they just finished at hayward field so i think it's going to be interesting to see how down the stretch those are sold to bryce foster because he is an elite thrower. He is ranked by Max Preps as one of the top throwers in the country at a shot put. And so he, he's a top offensive lineman, a top thrower. Um, I, I think we're starting to see Oregon is really, after a few years of not having a lot of multi-sports athletes, you're going to start seeing that a lot more. Uh, I know Dante Manning, the five-star cornerback, uh, Mario Cristobal shared that Robert Johnson stopped him on sign day and told him that, hey, we just signed a really good track athlete uh, joking with him because, you know, Oregon is going to have multi-sports athletes, especially with track that doesn't necessarily overlap as much as it would uh, other sports. So I, I really think that's going to be the one to watch over the next few months is how does the sell for the track and field program help to pursue Bryce Foster for the football program? And one thing that could play out here that's a positive for Oregon is if the seasons ultimately don't finish, if the SEC doesn't finish their season, the Big 12 only doesn't finish their season, um, and then may, you know, or, or maybe the Pac-12 pulls off their winter season and they play, and Bryce Foster hasn't decided by the time the Pac-12 plays, uh, either of those situations play out. And whereas if Oregon does play and they, they, they do well on the football field, like let's say they, they go nine and one and, and then they win the, the made up idea, not made up idea, but the, the tossed around idea that the big 10 and the PAC 12 could, could play some bowls against each other um, after the regular seasons are over with, let's say that comes to fruition and, you know, Oregon has a really good year and Bryce Foster hasn't decided yet. Maybe that maybe Oregon winning out and playing at a high level could could justify him him leaving. Um, I, I thought Bryce Foster was a recruit in which Oregon needed to needed to play this season to kind of get the final you know momentum push over the hill to get him to sign with Oregon because if Oregon came out and and played in the fall of 2020 like the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC are doing, and and Oregon comes out and goes 11 and one or 12 and 0 um you know i felt like that could have been the, enough momentum to, to maybe push oregon over the edge over oklahoma and over texas texas a&m texas tech so they've got to figure out some kind of way to generate some momentum i think to to really push themselves back over the edge here 
I, I completely agree with that momentum. Something, I mean, I think this is where the NCAA really needs to get its uh, cards in order. I've seen it hypothesized. Nowhere is actually saying this could happen. But what happens to those January mid-year enrollees? I know Bryce Foster says that he wants to throw uh, his senior season, and that's kind of why everyone thinks he could end up maybe making a later decision than the December 18th decision date he set. But what happens if Oregon is able to allow some early enrollees to play a spring season? I think that could be an incredible X factor as well. Um, Maybe not for Bryce Foster, but – it could get him to try. I know he wants to set high school records, but getting an extra, basically an extra year in track and field too, would just be something that it's an X factor. There's still a lot of things that need to be figured out when it comes to the on the field results impacting recruiting. And that, that could, and that could also play a factor. Like what happens uh, if Oregon comes out and says, or the NCAA comes out and says, Hey, we, we need, or, uh, early enrollees can play right away. And all of a sudden, Oregon could could tell Bryce Foster, hey, enroll in January. And you know what? You might have an opportunity to be our starting right guard as a freshman. Two guard spots are up. So What? There's two guard spots that are up. I mean – Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, that could could really change everything. one position is a lock right now. And with everything going on, it's not even a lock because Panay Sewell could leave. So, I mean, there's a lot of spots up for grabs on Oregon's offensive line. And it'll be amazing to see that battle play out in the spring, especially if you throw some of these 2021 recruits are given immediate eligibility. It would just be so fun to watch that battle. Yeah, that, that that's a podcast we could really dive into later on of just – uh, what players could enroll early and, and immediately see the field for the Oregon Ducks. We'll have to save that one for sure. Um, on the other end of this coming break, we're going to take a break here for a second. And when we come back, uh, Jaeger Burton released the top five, another five, another four-star offensive lineman. Uh, Oregon's in the mix. We'll discuss that as well as some Corey Foreman news that's come out. A crystal ball that's gone against Oregon for Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country. Coming up here on the Odds and Novels podcast. We'll be right back. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Kevin Wade is on the show as always. And we're discussing Jaeger Burton, a four-star offensive lineman out of Kentucky. And he released on Thursday a top five and included the Oregon Ducks in it. And along with the Ducks were the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, Clemson Tigers, Kentucky Wildcats, and Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Jaeger Burton plays at Frederick Douglass High School in Lexington, Kentucky. So, obviously, if you're if you are a geography major and you know where Lexington, Kentucky is, uh, you kind of have a good idea that Kentucky might be the favorite, and sure enough, they are. Uh, Wildcats have five predictions; all five of them uh, for Burton land with the Kentucky Wildcats, and Alabama's a, a player here. Oregon, look, or, Oregon's had him on a visit before. Um, he was here for a game, came out here with a high school coach, a, a, college, a high school teammate of his as well, flew out who Oregon's recruiting. A um, bunch of blue bloods, Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, Ohio State, and then there's Kentucky. Uh, the local school is winning out, but would it be that big of a shock if he committed to Oregon? Uh, I think it, it would be – it would be a shock. Uh, I don't think it would be a shock based off what Oregon represents. As we've discussed previously, Oregon has built a strong relationship. Uh, his high school coach has tweeted some pretty positive things about Oregon over the past few months about the way that they've, they've managed to use zoom and um, other recruiting methods to not just recruit the player, but recruit the coach, recruit the high school. And during an absence of an eval period still made it, made the high school coach and the high school program feel like they were, they mattered. So I think that's a, that's a pretty strong um, support for Oregon. Um, it's just felt like for a long time in Jaeger Burton's recruitment that he was going to stay somewhere in the Midwest with, with two Midwest schools, Kentucky and Ohio state listed on his finalists. That's kind of where I think things have been leaning. Uh but you never know. Kids can definitely shock the world, as we joked earlier. <laughs> uh, nice moment to the earlier segment. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't it, – it, you said it right in the fact that I don't necessarily think in, from a, a pure context perspective, it's not a shock if Oregon w- was to land the third best offensive guard in the country, the 59th best player in the country. Um, that wouldn't be the shock. I, I just think right now Burton probably, you know, leaning clo- closer to, to home, um, been on campus at Kentucky more than he has at Oregon. But I do kind of find it interesting that room is getting tight and maybe there's been a little bit of some buzz that Oklahoma's surging ahead for Bryce Foster. They play the same position. Um, maybe there's a little smoke there as well for maybe Oregon's turned up the attention a little bit with Burton seeing Foster going somewhere else, just trying to maybe play devil's advocate there. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair argument. I I know if you listened to the, the earlier this week's Odds and Audibles uh, on Monday, we kind of talked about who would be the backup options, and we did note that for Bryce Foster, it kind of is a Jaeger Burton, Bryce Foster were the two guards they were targeting after landing um, kind of filling out the rest of the class with Jonah Miller and Jackson Light on the interior. So 
I, I don't think the Ducks are giving up here. I think there's definitely there's they're still pursuing. Uh, I think it will be interesting to see if he does pick Kentucky as the experts are um, projecting with the crystal ball. But it, it will be interesting nonetheless to see how the decision shakes out. And then if he sticks with that commitment, maybe if, if it is Kentucky, I think that yeah, he's inclined. It's hard to flip a kid from an in-state program, but there's still at least three months until signing day. Um, that they got to hold on to him. Yeah, he, he gets his verbal commitment August 30th. He's doing it on his Instagram page. Um, so if you want to watch it happen live, just go to his Instagram page there, and you can watch that commitment on Sunday. Now, transitioning away from the offensive line, just spent some good chunk of time talking about the, the, the hogs up front um, of the offense Let's switch over to the defense and the number one player in the country, Corey Foreman, recently went to Georgia um, for kind of what was going on at Oklahoma. You know, Foreman's went to, to Athens and walked around campus and tried the best that they can to, to see the football facilities without you know being allowed into the football facilities. Uh, they, they, they have no interaction, in-person interaction with – with Georgia's coaches, uh, but nonetheless, the, the foremans thought that there would be some value in flying out to, to campus and, and seeing things on their own and on their own time and, and figuring out ways to, to kind of get a best look at Georgia as best they could um, under the rules. And now all of a sudden, Greg Biggins, national reporter for 24-7 Sports, and the guy probably the most dialed in to – the Corey Foreman recruitment has logged a crystal ball for, for Georgia for him. And this was always kind of the battle, right? Was it was, it was USC and Oregon. I think Washington too was involved um, earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get, it was basically those three West coast schools against a bunch of Southern schools fighting for is Corey Foreman going to leave the footprint or is Corey Foreman going to leave, uh, stay in the Pac-12 and, and play for one of the West Coast schools? I think it was always kind of early on that was the battle. You know, the three West Coast schools obviously recruiting for themselves, but, you know, trying to convince him to stay home, whereas the other schools are trying to get him to leave. And it looks like maybe he's starting to open up a little bit more again to, to leaving the footprint. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the do you go to the SEC I know it's not the SEC. Clemson's not the SEC. But do you go to the SEC footprint to go get developed or do you just stay home? I think that's always been the kind of the, the thing that people talk about when it comes to the West Coast kids going south. And there was a lot of thought that Corey Foreman was going to stay home. Now it looks like he's a little more open and considering leaving the West Coast. But I think there is some bit to play with the Pac-12 not playing football this year and Georgia gearing up for football. Um, I think there's some of that might come into play just with they're playing football, so they're going to be recruitable. Uh, Georgia did a great job. Um, I mean, all of these things are planned. They landed one of the top JUCO players in the country this weekend uh, while all of these players were on their, their – I can't remember what they call it – but uh, they had that summit, and they brought all those players out uh, unofficially, and not not really can't they can't talk to the coaches. But there's still hype that happens when 
the commits are taking around top uncommitted prospects and someone ends up committing. So I, I think Georgia did a, a really smart move there to build some excitement. Um, but we have seen this in the past where a kid from the West Coast goes out to SEC country, loves the visit, everyone thinks it's going to happen, but they don't make that immediate commitment and it simmers for a while. And then they end up deciding to go somewhere else. I mean, we saw it with Kayvon Thibodeau uh, in Florida and then Alabama a few years ago. Um, saw it heavily with Justin Flo uh, last year with Clemson and and even a little bit with Corey Foreman and Clemson this year because he did commit there, but then decommitted. So it'll be interesting to see how that can, that battle between West Coast, SEC area plays out. I do find it interesting that – Foreman committed to Clemson and then early on after he decommitted and shortly after that, there was a lot of discussion around him of, you know, maybe distance from home was just a little bit tougher on him than anticipated or on the family than it was anticipated. And now all of a sudden Georgia's trending again and, you know, Georgia and Clemson, while it's a good distance between the two, there's no real – overwhelming change from Clemson to LA to, from and Georgia to LA. It, it's not like all of a sudden you're cutting the travel distance in half. Yeah. There's, there's no major change. Uh, something that I kind of wonder, and this is, he's long been tweeting about being a package deal with one of the other top defensive prospects in the country, Mason Smith about being a package deal. And I wonder if some of this momentum towards Georgia and attention is because Smith and Foreman are both interested in Georgia. Um, Part of me this entire time has thought that while they're talking about playing together and there's a lot of excitement, like, Hey, we'll spend three years together building this top offensive or top defensive line. Um, Part of me kind of wonders when it actually comes time to put, yeah, I don't, they don't really sign and fax things anymore. I think it's just done on a tablet. But when it comes time to like mark your name down in the letter of intent, is he going to want to make that jump to the distance? Because six months ago, he decommitted from Clemson a lot in part due to that distance. Yeah, that's going to be a good question. What, and can Oregon kind of play into that? Can they dig into that? And that's kind of goes back to my feeling of, I felt like the Foreman race when he decommitted from Clemson and Oregon was thrown back into the mix and they were a finalist before he committed to Clemson too. But when that decommitment happened, I always kind of felt like that was another recruitment where a lot like Kayvon Thibodeau, where they needed to get him on a visit for a football game, have a big game, win it in exciting fashion, have a year in which the program is extending it up in an upward projection and the football team is is clicking on all cylinders and you can kind of ride that momentum of a really good year over into the recruiting trail and kind of naturally create this little push towards Oregon and without games being played and you brought that up it might be a little bit difficult for me to see Corey Foreman land at Oregon without Oregon playing any kind of football games if I'm Oregon and I I know that there's talk of Corey Foreman coming up to Oregon. It's been something he he said since the shutdown that, well, he's, he's been thinking about making these very unofficial trips. I think is I'm just going to call them very unofficials because you can't talk with the coaches, can't even see the coaches. Um, 
I, I think the one thing Oregon could do that could end up benefiting is get him in the car with some family of other ducks and have them all drive up to Eugene because there is a difference between a one day drive versus a cross country flight, knowing that I know for some current Oregon players that when everything kind of shut down with the pandemic players and no one really wanted to fly players were able to just get in the car and drive down to California. Um, that's a lot better than a cross country drive or, or having to get on a cross country flight. And I, I know we're soon going to be out of this pandemic, but I think it's just really going to be for Oregon illustrating that distance of you are very close to home. It, it may feel like a, a 10 hour, 11 hour drive is a, a long distance, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a lot closer than a five, six hour flight. I think when you put distance into perspective like that, that's something where Oregon could benefit. I know it's not USC, which is a, I mean, I don't know with traffic, but that's less than an hour drive. So it would be interesting if uh, let's just say the Pac-12 pulls off a a winter season where they start in January, and by that time maybe the recruiting periods are relaxed a little bit, and the restrictions are relaxed a little bit, and maybe or, or maybe it doesn't even matter honestly if the restrictions are lifted or not. But Oregon is playing in January and February, and they're crushing it. And the SEC they've finished their, you know, they've finished their seasons. And Georgia doesn't make the championship game or something, what have you. And maybe Oregon, maybe while they're playing, and think about this scenario real quick, just to go off a tangent and go down a rabbit hole here for a second. Oregon and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten they're not going to get as much media attention during September, October, November, early parts of December as those seasons, if they're still playing during those months, are playing out. But let's just say they get all the way through. They're not going to get as much media attention. It's just simple as fact. There's three Power Five conference, three of the Power Five conferences are playing. But let's then go and say let's also assume that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten both play you now have all those tv networks who are going to air all those games and there's less football teams to talk about and more time to focus on the organs on the ohio states on the usc's on the penn states you could see more discussion about oregon and if oregon wins in this shortened season and and goes 10 and 0 think of all the attention that's going to be talked about leading up to a potential signing day when Corey Foreman signs. Yeah, I think that's, I I think the timelines of everything are just so up in the air that it could be an advantage for Oregon. And I mean, the other thing is what happens if the NCAA, I know the dead period is set to expire on September 30th and the NCAA has been kind of piecemealing it, basically adding a month whenever the other one expires, the other one's coming up to expire. They'll just tack on another month. What if that doesn't expire? Oregon will just have all of this time where, hey, we're not playing games, but you you come to us and we're going to give you your 72-hour visit of your full attention. Well, you might go to the other schools. You might even see a game, but they're going to be prepping. We're going to give you the full rundown, which some schools find it better. Like games are a great recruiting tool, but undivided attention also is a great recruiting tool. Yeah, I mean, think of all the time that football coaches across the country and the big 
the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC have to devote towards game planning and scheming and running through practice and watching film. And yes, they're playing games. And ultimately that's what you want to do, but you also have to be able to recruit. And for Oregon, they aren't, they aren't preparing for a game that week. And while they are doing some stuff geared towards getting ready for a fall or for a winter season, which could, could happen a majority of their time could be spent while the other schools are coaching and, and on the practice fields, working with recruits, talking with recruits and getting them on Zoom calls and talking to their parents and, and solidifying or improving their stances with guys. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I just feel like if you're going to give anybody extra time to recruit, I, I, almost, I almost wonder if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 coaches are just like looking at Oregon and Big Oregon and Ohio State in particular, we can throw USC in there as well since they're in the top 10 of the recruiting rankings as it stands. But, man, that would be almost unfair in some ways because these coaches are only allowed to work with 12 hours a week with their players. Yes, there will be game planning going on. There will be stuff that they'll still have to do on the side, but they'll have a ton more time to recruit. And if those restrictions get lifted, they're just going to be able to bring guys in every weekend underclassmen from the state of California who aren't playing high school football because their seasons in the spring would probably travel up to Oregon or out to schools that aren't playing because there's just plenty of time to spend with the coaches and build relationships. Well, just think about, so the state of Washington, they are not playing uh, fall football and JT Tulumau, uh, I, I will never say his name correctly, uh, but we'll just call him JT, the number the number two player in the country. Oregon, theory, if, if the restrictions get lifted during you know September, October, November, what what have you, um, Oregon could theoretically just convince him to, to drive down every, every weekend. Yeah, I think I think Oregon would try that. I think Ohio State would try to get him to fly yep. out yep. Uh, as much as possible. But I, I think there would be a lot of movement that would actually end up benefiting the teams that aren't playing, especially like you get every weekend to host recruits. If, if you're not playing, if you're are playing, you're on the road every other weekend. So um, I think it could end up being a weird net positive. I know it intuitively doesn't see that stuff, but I, I think a hardworking staff, a coach that says all, all you need to do is wake up every day and recruit, I think could find positives out of it. That's going to do it for us here on today's Odds and Audibles. Hope you guys enjoy this. We're going to kind of maybe explore doing these ones where we just kind of just give our opinions on some stuff from a recruiting perspective or a team perspective. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Let us know uh, if you did or if you want us to stick to a, you know, a different type of show prep plan that we usually do. Uh, give us reviews on, on the podcast. Whatever way you listen to us, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, many others out there. Uh, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. For Kevin Wade, I'm Matt Preen. We'll talk to you soon.